Hey everyone, welcome to the second episode of Entrebine of Season 2. And I'm your host, PJ. I'm glad you guys are doing good. Hoping so. So, for the first episode, you guys could have, you know, precisely known that this season is completely going to be about funding, investments, strategies, and knowing about all the tips, tricks, and the intricate details. So, investment is not a small part of the entire entrepreneurship journey. I, I think it's the major part where the company actually finds its way to grow. So this episode is also going to bring in a lot of value to you guys. But before that, let's talk about the book, Don't Believe Everything You Think. In the previous episode, I've given you the glimpse of the book, but I just wanted to share certain facts and good ideas from the book. So it's going to be useful for you guys too. I'll be summarizing each chapter, not taking up too much time. So this book actually talks about thinking. Everything you think is not the reality. It's just the perception of reality. And because of thinking, you've lost your own self. So let's try to understand that. Do you know that thinking is the root cause of all suffering? No, right? So let's try to understand how. We live in a world of thoughts, not reality. Each of us has our own perception of the world. For everyone, it's different. I'll give you an example. Consider you're sitting in a coffee shop having a quarter life existential crisis, completely stressed out of your mind, and you have no idea what you're doing with your life when it seems like everyone else has theirs together. While at the same time, a person next to you is happily enjoying their freshly brewed drink while peacefully watching people. You both are at the same exact coffee shop, smelling the aroma, surrounded by the same stranger, but things are different for you. I'll give you another example. If you walk to 100 people and ask each of them what money means to them, you'll get 100 different answers. But technically money is the same thing, right? But it means different to different person. Reality is when an event happened with no meaning or thinking or interpretation of it. If you give any meaning or thinking to that event, and that's how your perception of reality is created. I know it's so complicated to understand this part, right? Okay, let me give you an example. Our feelings do not come from an external event, but from our own thinking about that event. Let's hypothetically say that you really hate your job and it causes an enormous amount of stress, anxiety, and frustration. So in this moment, like, Consider you're sitting with everyone else in your family watching your favorite show or series like Riverdale. That's my favorite. So you're watching it with your family. In your mind, you have so much thought about your work like, oh God, this work truly sucks. I don't like it. And I am not going to work there. The manager is so much tensing me up. This is getting so worse. Now, look at every other people in the room. They are all watching the series. They're all enjoying, they're, ha- they're all having their small talks, sharing what, what happened in their life. It's you thinking about your job. Now you may be saying you're only having this feeling because of this external event. That's your job and it's causing so much stress and that's why I'm in this state. Okay, then I'll ask the question. Is this true for everyone else? Like every single person feels the same? See, two different people can be doing the same exact job but will have completely different perception and experience of the job. 
it can be the most amazing experience and a dream job for one person but for another person it's a worst nightmare and a living hell the only difference between these two person is how they think about their job which determines how they feel about it who would you be without that thought that you hated the job take one minute to see what comes up to your mind if you don't overthink it the answer would be you'll be happy peaceful free and light so without our usual thinking about a particular event or a thing our experience of it completely alters this is how we live in the world of thoughts and not reality and how our perception of reality is created from the inside out and thus your own thinking is the root cause of all your suffering so from now on people just stop thinking have thoughts not thinking when you are getting thinking in your mind come to consciousness and say this is just a passing cloud don't put too much stress over it do not think about it and try to deviate yourself you know i don't want to brag about this topic so much so let's now jump into the episode So, hey John, it's great to see you. How are things at your end today? Good, thank you very much. How about yourself? Yeah, it's it's going really good and welcome to the show firstly. Thank you for accepting my invitation on the show. And um you know, I am extremely sorry for the pushy timeline as well. I wanted to apologize on the show. So, as no everyone knows the theme for the podcast season 2 is the game of strategic funding so here is our guest Jonathan Deller Fernandez he worked as a senior maintenance officer at West Island Palliative Care Residence i think you started there when you were at school that's really great and so he worked as a business development lead at echelon wealth partners he also worked as a reporting specialist at jarislowski fraser right now he works as an associate of venture capital at national bank of canada throughout this episode i'm going to take it as a single segment so it's going to be entirely up, entirely about what and how to approach corporate venture capitalist So before starting you know through into everything you have been in the field of venture capital space for quite a long time but before that there is this part of being in West Island palliative care residence so do you mind sharing your experience over there because throughout my podcast i always talk about content that's specially based on what the theme is but i wanted to take a distraction from there and i wanted to know your experience about west island palliative care residents yeah of course um so working at the west island palliative care residents which is now called the teresa deller palliative care residents named um after my mom um it palliative care is something where uh it gives care to the people that are terminally ill and so you know working there for a significant part of my life and stuff it, it helped me learn certain skills uh communicating with others understanding others um you know working on sort of like having a different view on life um and i think those are things that are extremely important both 
personally and also in my career, it helps you put things in perspective sometimes on what, what what's important and what's not important. That's right. So how much influence did it have on your life? Because looking at people, you know, who need care, they're very old age. I looked at the profile of that palliative care residence as well. It is for the old age people that they're, you know, ending time to spend a happy life over there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's a lot. It's a place that a lot of people think is extremely difficult to work at. Um, it, it's actually the opposite in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of laughter that happens there. There's a lot of love that goes around. Um, it's amazing to walk through the halls and hear laughter, and uh, it's extremely interesting to listen to, um, to hear, and to experience. So, uh, when it comes to the influence it's had on had in my life, it's. I wouldn't be at all who I am today without it. That's great. And now coming to the CBC space, as I already said, you are you have been in this field of corporate venture capital for quite a bit of time. Being in finance sector, like what gave you an inspiration to get into finance sector, first of all? Yeah, so um, maybe I'll go all the way back. Uh, sure. It's a little bit of an interesting uh, path I took. So my undergrad is actually in psychology. Um, and after about two years in psychology, I kind of decided that this wasn't the route I wanted to take in life. So I started exploring my other options and I, I found things like uh, capital markets and, and public markets. And I thought that was very interesting. So that's what led me along the, the path towards finance. Um, and then during my, during my MBA and then after my, my work at um, Echelon Wealth Partners and Jaroslavsky Fraser, I kind of decided that public markets were not something that interested me too much. So I started gearing sort of my, my next steps towards private markets. Um, and that, you know, I, and I was willing to kind of explore all the options, whether it be, um, you know, investment banking or, uh, well, that's kind of a hybrid, but, you know, if it meant like uh, mergers and acquisitions at a, at a consulting firm or at a bank um, or venture capital or private equity, um, all of those things sort of interested me and I fell upon this opportunity and I'm so glad that I did because uh, can't see going into anything else now. Okay, now getting into the topic in itself. I have this very important question that, you know, flashes through my mind when I heard about the word CVC. I think I've heard about it from you first time. I, I, I think so. So what exactly is the difference that you see between a venture capital or an angel investor? I mean, venture capital could go better with this. So what do you see as a difference between a venture capital and a corporate venture capital? Yeah, so I mean, the biggest difference right away is that um, we don't tr have the traditional uh, you know, uh, LPGP structure, where, um, you know, it's an aggregation of a whole bunch of money coming from whether it be institutional investors or individual investors, and aggregating it and investing in companies managed by a general partner. Um, this is sort of the structure where it's the corporate company's funds, and um, they are essentially your LP. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, like the focus is not usually on uh, just financial returns. It's on strategic investments. So that can be in the form of anything that brings benefit to the company. Um, and that's for the mandate to be determined by the, the corporation itself. Okay. Um, I could dive a little bit deeper into Sure, sure. Ventures. You can, you know, give some 
examples of what this strategic investment, I mean, strategic profits could look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, for example, at National Bank and any ventures, right? Um, you know, we can be investing in a variety of different things as long as they bring a benefit to the bank in some okay. capacity. That can be in three different ways. Um, one could be in the form of, um, you know, uh, revenue increases, and that could be in the form of client acquisition or ways of making new money. Um, the second can be in the form of uh, cost efficiency, so finding technologies and companies that, the, uh, that could be used to reduce our costs on our side. And then the third, um, which is something that we've only uh, sort of invested in a bit. Startups are from multiple sectors. You know, can you throw some light on startups from which sector should approach CVC? Yeah, so that'll depend on the corporation, right? So in the example of National Bank, right, we tend to be mostly focused on uh, fintech related startups. Okay. While, you know, um, if you know, Bell Ventures will focus a little bit more on telecom related startups or a pharmaceutical company will look at a little bit more the, the med space. Mm -hmm. um, so it really depends on sort of the vertical that the company operates in okay. and some are wider than others. Um, you know, uh, Amazon uh, doesn't have a specific venture capital um, arm, but they do make a lot of different investments in a wide variety or wide range of different verticals. So it really can depend on the company itself. So which stage of startup did CBC fund? Uh, is there any specificity you guys have? Like, Yeah, so that, that'll also depend a little bit by company and by, by corporation. Um, personally, like I think the sweet spot for these companies and what makes a lot of sense is the seed to series C stage, right? Um, the reason for that is, uh, one, uh, you have to be post brought up product, like you have to have an actual product created at that point because the corporations want to leverage the, the startup's technology. Um, and so that's really, really important. Um, anything beyond Series C gets really, really expensive, right, to, to participate yeah. in. Um, you're looking at, uh, and so depending on the venture capital's mandate, right, um, it becomes, becomes difficult. Uh, at a growth stage to invest anything larger than, you know, um, let's say 10, 20 million dollars. But at least I think the sweet spot is between seed and series C. I think that's what makes a lot of sense. Got it. But I'm sure that there are other venture capital arms, uh, corporate venture capital arms that are maybe a little bit more focused on more mature companies. So there are news about VCs, angel investors in and around. But it feels so rare to hear about a corporate venture capitals. And I feel there is a huge gap in their, you know, presence on everywhere, be it on social media or be it on news. We don't hear much about corporate venture capital. So can you name some of top CVC firms and talk about them? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, it's something that's definitely gotten a lot of more traction recently. Uh, so I think you'll start hearing a little bit more about it as sure as time goes on. Um, but, uh, you know, at an international level, uh, Google Ventures is, is just massive. There's uh, a corporate venture capital arm called M12, which is Microsoft's CBC arm. Um, there's Intel. Intel has, a, uh, has one as well. GE has one. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, Amazon has, does as well. But it's, it's in the form of, uh, you know, like they'll, they'll They'll make investments into specific yeah. other VC funds. 
um, or they'll make individual investments themselves, but they don't have a specific VC arm that that I'm aware of. Maybe there is one, just I haven't found it yet. Um, and then in Canada, uh, you know, there's there's actually quite a bit that have sort of slowly started to pop up in the in the banking space as well. Uh, Desjardins Capital has one. Uh, RBC has one as well. Um, Intact, and um, you know, and there's Aster X, which is uh, Quebecor uh, Videotron's um, uh, VC arm as well. Yeah, I think you missed NBC in it. Oh well, yeah, us too. Yes, <laughs> national banks as well. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we were. I thought I was including this already. Here is a curious question: As we were talking about NBC in itself, how can a startup, you know, find a NBC investment space? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, reach out to any of the individuals that work in the CBC um, space at those at the specific ones you want to talk to. Um, most of the time we're very open to meeting as many different startups as possible um it's a matter of it's a matter of trying to just expand you know the the possible ideas out there and uh we're happy to always take in and, and meet new people and understand what what someone's bringing to the space that's innovative so do you guys have any quality standards before you start investing in the company yeah, so specifically for us at NA Ventures, um, we must find uh, a strategic fit where the business line has actually communicated with and is interested in using the solution in the near to medium term. So, um, you know, there's been an ex ex you know an actual conversation that said, we want to be using this solution within the next, you know, let's say three years. And once we've kind of got that sort of mindset uh, or gotten that sign off, you know, then we can start looking at the company from an investment perspective. Okay. So, um, and usually during that, there'll, there'll be a technical due diligence that goes on um, as well as, you know, a business due diligence. And then we'll dive in from an investment due diligence okay. perspective as well. Does CVC have any upper hand over VCs or angel investor? Well, I think, I think what CVCs bring to the table is interesting. It's a it's a really uh, um, mutually beneficial relationship, right? Um, in in our case, right, we like to think that we will work with the company to ensure that this commercial contract comes into play, right? And that commercial contract will help boost revenues, which will help boost the company's valuation, which will help improve our investment, and then we're more excited to have them be successful. Um, we're also extremely um, you know, open to our, our portfolio companies working with other financial institutions. We don't try to have exclusive rights with, you know, like, oh, you're only allowed to service National Bank, you're not allowed to service uh, RBC or something. We don't believe in that because we want them to succeed because it'll help you know, improve our sort of return metrics. And even though that's not the focus of our fund, um, it's still something that we believe is beneficial. So can you discuss your experience investing in like early stage startup or, you know, later stage companies? What do you see or what do you analyze as a difference between these two startups? And how does this approach differ? Yeah, so when it comes to the early stage startups, right, um, there's a little bit more focus on the team 
right? So we'll spend a little bit more time trying to get to know the founders, try to understand, you know, what their experience is. Um, we want to understand the tech, so we'll take a little bit more time understanding the solution. Um, we'll have, you know, a little bit more of an in-depth technical due diligence that goes on. And what's really, really important is the, uh, the TAM, the total addressable market. Does this solution solve a problem that's really big and can they monetize that problem, can, uh, that solution? Can they actually make money that's going to be significant? Um, that's really important at the early stage. At the later stage, um, you know, like we, at this point, you're expecting the company to have a little bit more sort of like uh, product market validation. So we're looking at things like unit economics, um, you know, like is there, are like, is it efficient? Is it profitable? Um, what's their roadmap? What are the other sort of like features or new products they plan on bringing to the, like, to the market? Um, how have they used their funds? Have they used it in an efficient way? How are they going to use these funds? Um, because, you know, it can vary a little bit more widely for a later stage company. While early stage, um, you know, they might already have the product. They're just going to throw it all into, all into um, uh, you know, sales. While for a later stage, they say, okay, well, you know, we have good traction on sales and uh, client acquisition. We want to develop new products as well. So it can vary a little bit more. And, um, you know, we still also focus on the team as well. In a later stage, it's also extremely important. Um, but, uh, you know, at the earlier stage, uh, there's a, lot, a little bit more focus on them because it's a smaller okay. team. As a VC or, you know, being a CBC, there is a need for diversifying a portfolio. This is going to be like proportional to the reputation of VCs. So how do you balance it with the desire to invest in the companies that has high growth potential? Yeah. So um, as a CBC, you know, we like I said, we, kind of, we, we focus on companies that the bank wants to use um, in the near to medium term. So we don't really have a specific diversification strategy from a portfolio okay. perspective um, because, you know, we we work with these companies very closely uh, to help them, you know, you know, initiate conversations with the business line, sign commercial contracts and sort, sorts of stuff. Um, we don't, we don't try to, we won't try to invest in a specific sort of like uh, vertical just because we want to reduce our overall portfolio risk. Um, that's not something we need to focus on. Um, and we, we tend to focus on verticals one at a time. So we will like, we will do, uh, well, sorry, not one at a time. We will take the time to understand a specific vertical by speaking to people internally at the bank and externally as well. And then we'll try to find the, you know, the players best in class within that vertical and identify the pain points which they're solving. Um, and then we have a really good understanding of the market. So we look from the different verticals within banking, but we don't go outside of the banking. We don't need to Diverse. So how does the exit strategy for CVC looks like? Because for VCs or investors, hedge funds, there is nothing that's that, that feels to be corporate, you know, they're all present over there, they're going to invest on multiple companies, but it, it feels like a different story for CVC. So how do you think the exit strategy for CVC look like? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't change that that much. Um, there are certain times, you know, where, uh, you know, 
any ventures and a national bank has acquired an any ventures investment um and from that perspective the exit was an acquisition by our own parent company or by our own company um but other than that it stays the same um you know unless the company is extremely core to the bank's strategy okay. um and then you know there's an idea to maybe acquire it in the future which is not not to say it doesn't happen but i'm not going to say that it always happens either uh it it's it's opportunistic um and there's certain cvcs that i'm sure you know invest with that sort of mindset yeah. we don't necessarily do it any ventures um uh so it doesn't change that much but there is an opportunity to acquire them in the future from a cvc perspective but have you ever had uh, you know a startup go into an ipo and then look for an exit strategy like have you ever faced such a scenario uh not not in my career okay. uh, we have had uh, portfolio companies uh, go public and be publicly traded Got it. um but uh not not in my career at this point god it are you saying so can you discuss some of failures or mistakes that have been made in terms of investing and what were your experience from that yeah of course um you know from from my perspective i think uh after 10 years of an extremely bullish uh, strong market sort of thing um learning to have extremely more pessimistic scenarios when i'm doing my scenario analysis you know um looking at the worst worst case scenarios um and being prepared for those is probably uh something that i've learned not to say that it's happened but just that i've seen now what can happen and i'm like okay uh you know like i need to be prepared when that happens to me sort of thing right yeah um there's also sort of uh validation of sort of like the thoughts that are going on um with the companies we speak to and in the market so understanding really the clients of the company we invest in uh their their other investors their competitors and really taking the time to speak to them as much as possible um to really gather as many different viewpoints as you can um because you want to prevent yourself from being biased um and then finally um you know roadmaps are are really great it's like you know everyone loves to seek a company where are you guys going to be in 2 months where are you guys going to be in three months um it's really nice to sort of uh to think of but i and the companies i think both need to be a little bit more realistic sometimes about okay this is actually going to take a little bit longer and be prepared to push things out an extra couple weeks or months if needed uh, and be prepared for that so you were talking about you know the market previously and i have this question popping up we are heading a stage of recession but I I'm not like really sure if we're going to have one right now. So if there is going to be a recession, what could be the landscape of the startup funding looks like? Yeah, so I mean we're already starting to see some of those things come into fruition in the in the private market in the VC market, private markets, right? Um multiples have become a lot lower. Uh people are not willing to pay as much. Um you know, there's there's a shift now from how fast are you growing to how fast can you be profitable um there's a little bit more focus on that than there is on just grow as fast as fast as you can um 
there's also, you know, investors, I think now are also looking for um, more tangible sort of like evidence before funding, right? Like they want to see numbers, they want to see, they want to see results before, before investing. Well, I think in the past 10 years, you know, um, especially in certain like, you know, fads that happen, um, such as crypto at one yeah, point, yeah. and now you can say AI, uh, where money just flows really fast. I think people are looking a little bit more for tangible evidence before investing. Yeah. Um, so just a pitch deck doesn't go as far as it used to uh, a couple of years ago. Um, also, the market, I think, is, is a lot less exit opportunity. Um, getting acquired is a lot more difficult. Companies pull out and stuff like that. I know. What is your advice right now for startups kicking up into CVC space with all these things that you have said so far about these recessions and the profit-based market? So what would be your defined advice to the upcoming startups? Yeah, so um, one is to really take the time to understand the market and the space in which you're operating in. Um, when it comes to servicing large businesses like a bank, um, so if you're in a B2B structure, right, um, really talk to your clients, understand what they need, understand what they want and how much they're willing to pay for it. Um, and then when you go and talk to your potential investors, communicate that you've done that sort of homework is extremely important. Um, and it'll make sure, one, that your product really solves uh, the problem that these sort of clients have. And two, um, you know, you've already had those initial discussions with them and it'll accelerate your sort of sales process when you get there. Um, however, as a, as a fair warning as well, you know, like uh, dealing with large enterprise clients in this market is a little bit more difficult as well. Um, they don't they don't move as fast. They're not as willing to spend money. Um, so be prepared for things to move slowly uh, in a sales perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you are talking about the pitch deck. It wasn't the only one thing necessary for, you know, for being in the time period. So what do you think the startup has to focus more on when they are presenting themselves to the VC? Like this is the part they have to pay more concentration and they should not miss this out. Is there any particular thing that you can pick out and help people out? Yeah, I mean, I think... That's an interesting one. I think one of the things that they really need to focus on is, is do my unit economics work? Okay. Does the cost at which to acquire and service a client, whether that be a, in a B2C structure or B2B structure, is it, is it efficient? Am I going to make money off of this? Um, and I understand, right, like uh, all, your, all, your, all your costs for development and marketing and stuff are significantly high at the beginning. But in the long run, do you think you can, you know, achieve economies of scale, reduce some of those costs per client, and can it be profitable? Make sure that that business, that business model that you've sort of working on and developing makes sense. Because if it doesn't, I think investors have a harder time uh, looking past those things these days. So we're almost at the end. I have one final question that I usually ask all my guests. What is passion and failure means to you? Uh, okay, interesting. Yeah, pa passion means uh, passion to me uh, means that there's no nine to five. Um, you love your job. You do it all the time. It's it's it, while you're work, you know, in the morning while you're at the gym, and it's at night while you're cooking dinner. Uh, th that's what that's what passion is. And then a failure is is an opportunity to learn. 
um, sounds pretty standard, but it's it's extremely true. Um, and some of the most successful founders that I've ever met uh, have failed, and they are the ones that then come up with another idea. Um, it's incredible to see that sort of resilience, and that's the sort of thing we like to see in a in a founder is, is resiliency, drive, passion is all uh, extremely important. This is really an amazing session because getting to know about CVC space, I think most of the startups out there wouldn't be knowing all these intricate details that you have mentioned over here and the advices that you have given right now, this is going to help you know, more number of startups out there listening to the podcast. And I really, really appreciate your time and, you know, giving us such an abundance knowledge within this little quantity of time. I'm thankful for that. Thanks, PJ. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope you guys loved today's episode. Please show a lot of love and affection by following and subscribing to the podcast. Please await for the next episode. Until then, it's PJ and you're listening to Entrebind. See you guys. Mm-hmm.